Out front next, the breaking news. House Republicans just voting to begin the process of impeaching President Biden as a defiant Hunter Biden rips the GOP. Also breaking, Trump's 2020 election interference case now on hold. So does that mean Trump gets through the whole election without going to trial? And together at last, Yoni Asher. His story, we've all been following since the October 7th attacks. You know him. He speaks out. He is finally together with his wife and those little girls, sharing new details about what they endured in captivity. Let's go out front. And good evening. I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news. The House of Representatives voting moments ago to launch an impeachment inquiry against President Biden. Every single Republican voting to authorize this inquiry despite having no direct evidence that Biden broke the law. Just moments ago, President Biden responding in a statement saying, quote, instead of doing anything to help make Americans' lives better, they are focused on attacking me with lies. Now, Republicans claim that this inquiry gives them more power to collect testimony from witnesses like Hunter Biden, who today traveled to Washington. He defied a subpoena for a closed-door deposition because he said he's ready to speak only testify publicly. And in a rare public statement, he slammed the Republican investigation. I'm here today to answer at a public hearing. I have been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine shouting, where's Hunter? I am here. There is no fairness or decency in what these Republicans are doing. They have lied over and over about every aspect of my personal and professional life. So much so that their lies have become the false facts believed by too many people. No matter how many times it is debunked. Now, Hunter Biden said that his father didn't do anything wrong and that Joe Biden never benefited financially from his business dealings. And here's the truth. Legal scholars and even Republicans have agreed to this. They have agreed that there has been no evidence put forth of wrongdoing by the president. The facts haven't taken me to that point where I can say that the president's guilty of anything. I don't know that you're going to see a high crime or misdemeanor. We don't have the evidence now, but we may find it later. So they say that they have no evidence. And yet every single Republican in the House of Representatives, 221 people, Every single Republican, 221 people, without evidence, voted to launch an impeachment inquiry. An inquiry that is designed to distract from the mounting evidence in the case involving Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. In fact, tonight, we have exclusive new audio of a December 2020 Oval Office meeting with then-President Trump. Pro-Trump attorney Kenneth Chesbrough is telling Michigan prosecutors that at the meeting, he told Trump how he could still win using so-called alternate electors. Listen to this part. So I, I ended up explaining that Arizona was still hypothetically possible because the alternate electors had voted. And I explained the whole logic. Because the alternate electors had voted, we had more time to win the litigation. Of course, Trump embraced Chesbro's theory, continuing to falsely claim that he won the election, right? even though now we know person after person of experts sat in the Oval Office and told him that he'd lost and that he accepted that. Chesbro, of course, is an unindicted co-conspirator in Trump's federal case as well. We're going to get to much more of that exclusive audio in a moment. But first, I want to get to Manu Raju on Capitol Hill on the impeachment vote that just passed. Manu, that vote just happened. As I emphasized, every single Republican supported it. You've been talking to some of them. What are they telling you? 
Yeah, a lot of them supported it because they said the investigation should continue. But I pressed a number of them about whether they believe that President Biden should actually be impeached. He would just be the fourth president in American history to be charged with high crimes or misdemeanors. An incredibly high bar to meet. And a lot of those members I talked to are saying they have not yet met that bar. And frankly, they say that the impeachment inquiry needs to gather the evidence that they're searching for, tying Joe Biden, accusing Joe Biden of taking direct action to benefit his son's businesses while the president the president was in office as vice president. They don't have that direct link yet, but a lot of these members are hoping that they can find that evidence so they can support impeachment, the impeachment ultimately. Now, some of those members come from swing districts, and they are indicating to me, yes, they'll vote now to move forward on this inquiry, but whether they vote to impeach him is another question. All right. Are you ready to go as far as impeaching the president? No, I'm going to let the committees continue their work, develop their articles. If they develop articles of impeachment, show their show their evidence, and then we'll make a separate choice there. How close are you to being ready to support impeachment, actual impeachment of the president? Look, we're not there. We we voted tonight to allow for the investigation to continue. This was a vote to authorize uh, the investigation formally uh, because the White House has taken the position that it was an informal inquiry and they didn't need to comply. And this is going to put Speaker Johnson in a bind in the weeks ahead because a number of members on his right are pushing for impeachment of the president of the United States. But some of those swing district members that you heard there are still waiting for this investigation to gather even more information to prove that Joe Biden acted corruptly. Then they said they can charge him with those high crimes or misdemeanors. So, Aaron, you can see the bind given that Mike Johnson can only afford to lose three Republican votes on any straight party line vote, whether he can get there remains a huge question. All right, Manu, thank you very much on Capitol Hill, of course, speaking to those congressmen. And I want to go now to the Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna of California. He's on the committee that Hunter Biden Biden defiantly refused to appear before today, right, saying that he wanted to testify uh, publicly in front of in front of everyone. So, Congressman, the impeachment inquiry uh, is now a done deal out of the committee. Are you prepared for televised impeachment hearings, accusations, and everything else that this investigation will likely entail in an election year. Ern, it's very sad because the American people want us focused on the cost of living, the housing affordability crisis. There's a total distraction. I think actually it's going to backfire on the Republicans. You saw impeachment hearings in the past have actually benefited uh, the person, uh, the president. And uh, I think this is not just a waste of time. It's politically damaging for them. So your colleague, Ken Bach, uh, the one Republican who had expressed hesitation about voting for the impeachment, he was hesitant, but he ultimately did vote for it. As I said, they all did. When I spoke with him on Monday, Congressman, he criticized the White House for saying that it would not hand over records unless they were forced to do so by an impeachment proceeding, right? This whole point that, well, this is informal, we haven't been subpoenaed, we're not going to hand over the documents. So Hunter Biden today then, Congressman, referenced financial records in his defiance press conference very specifically, and I wanted to play one thing that he said. James Comer, Jim Jordan, Jason Smith, and their colleagues have distorted the facts by cherry-picking lines from a bank statement, manipulating texts I sent, editing the testimony of my friends and former business partners, 
and misstating personal information that was stolen from me. Now, Congressman Khan, if all of this is true as Hunter Biden lays it out, why won't the White House and Hunter Biden just hand over the records? Uh, because, you know, so they can't just cherry pick, right? Put them all out there if that would absolve themselves of these accusations. Because there's no evidence or allegation that the president has done anything even slightly wrong in his role as president. This has been litigated for five years, and it's rich for the Republicans to be demanding all this release of personal financial information when their leading candidate, Donald Trump, doesn't even release his taxes. Joe Biden has provided far more financial information than anything Biden has. This is a witch hunt. And here's what I haven't heard. I haven't heard the Republicans say, what has President Biden, since he's been president, done wrong? That's why you impeach someone. So uh, Chairman Jordan uh, on the committee, right here, Chairman Jim Jordan, focused on something Hunter Biden said at his press conference, uh, which is that his father wasn't, quote, financially involved in Hunter's business. I just played that part of what he said a few moments ago, but he said he wasn't financially, uh, that there was no, he was not financially involved. And Jordan says that that's significant, that this shows the story is shifting. He says, first, President Biden had no involvement at all in Hunter's business. Now it's just no financial involvement in Hunter's business. Uh, do you... Uh, support uh, the chairman's focus on now the use of the adjective financially? I, I just don't understand what all this is about. If they want to make this case in a campaign, fine. Everything President Biden has done since kindergarten can be litigated in a campaign. And they've been doing this for the past five years. But you can't impeach a sitting president of the United States for conduct that was years ago. First of all, there's no evidence that he did anything wrong, but it's, they're going after things that he did potentially as vice president. I mean, can you imagine if the Democrats had said, we're going to impeach Donald Trump for all the bad things he did before he became president? We focused on action while he was president, and they have not even had an allegation that this president has done anything wrong since he's been in office. All right. Congressman Khan, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And next, the breaking news, a judge hitting pause on Trump's federal election case. And tonight, Team Trump is celebrating. So what does this actually mean for the government's case, whether this goes to trial before the election? Plus, together, Yoni Asher, his story we have been following, speaks to Outfront about seeing his wife, Daron, and his two young daughters for the first time after they were freed from being Hamas hostages in Gaza. And he opens up about what they endured in the 49 days they were held hostage. And Tesla's reputation suffering a major blow tonight, two million cars recalled. We'll tell you why. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... 
Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news. Donald Trump's federal election interference case is now on hold. So the trial was scheduled to start on March 4th of next year, 2024. But the federal judge overseeing it has now temporarily paused all deadlines while pretrial motion appeals play out. Ryan Goodman is here with me. So, Ryan, uh, uh, Trump's campaign is saying this decision by the judge, uh, Tanya Chutkin, is a big win for President Trump and our rule of law. That's the quote from them. And the whole point is that Trump has wanted to delay the case until the after the election. Now you've got a delay while all these motions play their way through the system. Is it a win? Is it a possibility that this whole thing now doesn't happen until after the election? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, so it is a win. It does pause the trial. It might mean the March 4th date does not get met. And it might, in fact, mean that the March 4th date doesn't get met because the Supreme Court takes forever to decide the issue when it goes to the Supreme Court. And then time has run out. November 2024 has passed. That said, it's not a complete victory because it actually then incentivizes the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court to decide quickly, mm-hmm. is he or is he not immune from trial? And then let's go. And that just happened within hours of her opinion just a few minutes ago. The Court of Appeals said, we're going fast. We're going to decide this basically before the second week in January. It was what it looks like. So it, it's not perfectly good for him because now it actually means also the Supreme Court might step in and say, And they've already indicated that they intend to go quickly, right? Because they said that they're going to take it. I mean, they've moved quickly. They're going to take up the decision to take it up (laughs) very quickly. That's exactly right. Um, But um, but moving very fast. Very fast. All right. So could be a big win, but depends on what they do. And they're indicating that they want to go fast. Um, Also today, there was a recording of Trump played at Rudy Giuliani's defamation trial. And um, This centered on false statements that he had made about those two poll workers in Georgia, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. Now, of course, Trump had spread conspiracy theories about these, you know, two civilian poll workers, right, who were working at the polls, uh, including uh, on that famous call with the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Here's some of that call, which was actually played in court today. So here's what they heard. 18,000 voters uh, having to do with... That's, uh, she's a vote scammer, a professional vote scammer and hustler. Uh, that is, uh, that was the tape that's been shown all over the world that makes everybody look bad. Uh, you, me, and everybody else. All right, those bleeps were not swear words. Those bleeps were Freeman's name. Mm-hmm. So when you play this all the way out, you have uh, 18 times where Trump said her name on the call, attacking her, uh, you know, saying these, um, these disparaging things. So how important could she be at Trump's election trial? I think very important. And we recently got a pretty strong signal of this. Jack Smith, in a very recent brief, for the first time, foregrounded Seamus and Ruby Freeman and actually strongly suggests they will be witnesses for the prosecution in the case because President Trump was publicly and privately spreading these lies about them and that they were receiving death threats. And Jack Smith says this is him using violence to try to keep a hold in power when he knows the result of his public statements against these individuals is that that puts them in harm's way. They are very compelling witnesses, and that's mm-hmm. audio tape as well that's very compelling. They, were, they, they appeared before the select committee, and many people's eyes started watering when they tell what happened to them. 
So yeah. imagine that with a jury. Absolutely. All right, Ryan, thank you very much. And of course, Trump has made uh, his legal uh, travails and situation the centerpiece of his election campaign. And right now he has just taken the stage in his campaign stop. This time it's in Iowa, rallying supporters there. Obviously, the all-important Iowa caucuses are now just about a month away. And Kristen Holmes is out front at Trump's campaign event. Kristen, I know you've been talking to your sources on Trump's team. What is their thinking about Iowa right now, right? A place where he said, oh, I'm forced to be in court all the time, so I'm not in the campaign trail. Well, he's there tonight where you are. Yeah, Aaron, he is. When I talk to his team, there is increased level of confidence, particularly after that Des Moines Register poll, which Trump just referenced himself, showing him at 51 percent to Ron DeSantis's 19 percent. The chatter on the ground here among GOP operatives, both pro and anti-Trump, for months has been while the polls show Trump leading, they did not believe the margin was as big as the polls were showing. But given the Des Moines Register poll with that huge margin, that had shifted. They do believe that there is quite a wide margin that it would be, according to these operatives, impossible for DeSantis to overtake Trump at this time. You can really hear that when you are talking to members of his team. They are confident here. Now, that does not mean that they are confident completely in every early voting state. They are watching New Hampshire very closely, as well as Nikki Haley's rise. One indication of that is that he never, Trump, responded to Ron DeSantis's attacks directly from last night's CNN town hall but did respond to Sununu's endorsement of Nikki Haley, giving you an idea of where exactly his mind is at. Now, Trump is ramping up his campaign schedule. He is increasing his presence on the campaign trail. After Iowa, he'll go to New Hampshire, Nevada, and then he will be uh, back in Iowa next week, something we are obviously watching closely. But, Aaron, keep in mind, even with this increase in campaign stops, he is being far outpaced by his GOP rivals. However, it doesn't seem to be making a difference in the polls, either in Iowa or nationally. Aaron? All right, Kristen, thank you very much. Uh, live in Iowa, and of course, we'll hear uh, if he does respond to uh, DeSantis's uh, attacks last night. And out front next, Reunited, an incredible story. Yoni Asher, who we have been following closely out front, talks about what it's like now to be with his wife and his two toddler daughters again, and shares new details about their time as hostages of Hamas. Plus, Abraham Lincoln, Harriet Tubman, Michelle Obama, and now Oprah Winfrey. Gail King is out front on her best friend's tremendous honor today. Tonight, President Biden meeting with the families of eight Americans still held hostage by Hamas. The meeting was held privately and was not announced ahead of time. It comes as Israeli forces are again pumping seawater into tunnels in Gaza as they try to root out Hamas fighters. This is a story we've been following closely has a very important update. Yoni Asher's family, his wife, Daron, and his two little girls, who are aged two and four, were among the hostages for 49 days. We've been following their story. And tonight, this is a ray of light. They are safe. They are in their home. They are laughing. They are playing. They are together. It was the same home that I visited while they were being held captive, and it was feared they were dead, where Yoni sold us his daughter's toys, and their little precious pink shoes. And Yoni Asher is back with us now. So Yoni, this day has come. Um, <laughs> all those times we spoke um, amid such horror and now, thank God, um, here you are and they're home. Daron, Raz, Aviv, they are home. How, can you even put words on how it feels? 
It's a miracle. Um, I'm feeling like I got my life back as a gift. You know, I was, like I told you many times before, in hell. And I got back from hell to my, to my family. And they are here and alive. And they are okay. So I got my life back. And it's amazing how you say it, your life back, because it had been taken away from you, everything, uh, everything in your home, and your life. And there was a moment that you were reunited, and I keep looking at it, Yoni. I've looked at it over these recent days and just watching you hugging them. What was it like when you finally could put your arms around them? It was the most amazing feeling I had in my entire life. And, you know, Erin, like you mentioned, I told you that they are, uh, that I didn't watch their videos and to hear their voice after so much time was like hearing something strange because once you don't hear a person's voice for a long time and then you hear it, it sounds different in some way. So it was very, to hear that sound of their voice was something that I will never forget that sound. And um, you saw that they were immediately started talking and saying that they're dreamt to get back home. Yoni, when I was with you in your home and the girls were gone, you showed me their toys. We actually sat there um, in their little play area. And I remember you talking about how you would be making dinner, you and Jerome, and they would sort of pretend to make a Shabbat dinner and they would pretend to serve the wine. And I wanted to just play that moment we, to share it with everyone. We do uh, what's called Kiddush and bless for our food. It's, they like it so much. So they love to pretend that they are making food and they are doing Kiddush and the wine and everything. And I know, Yoni, you said you didn't, you know, you were talking about whether they would ever um, be able to do that again, whether you would ever experience that. I mean, are they playing those games again? Are they doing those familiar things? Well, yeah, when we got back home and they saw the their home at the first time, uh, they were very excited. Um, they were playing and running at that night, uh, past midnight. And um, they're starting to get back to their older, old toys. And yes, they, they did. They, they played and they were so happy and they got a lot of uh, presents and candies. And um, they were truly happy, and I saw that on them. They they opened the closet of where we put uh, some food, and they said, "Look at how much food we have," because for so long they had so little food. So when they saw all the things we have on our closet and our refrigerator, they were very excited. Just for something like real food, Yoni, um, are they talking at all about their time in captivity? 
Well, they have their own language because they are basically toddlers, like I've mentioned many times before. And they don't know the words us adults know, like Gaza, like kidnapped, like um, war, captivity. They have their own language and they are describing the situation where evil people came to grandmother's house with knives and made a mess and broke their beds and took them on a tractor. And this is the terminology that they are using. Um, they are saying a lot of things. Um, Raz, the older girl, talk, talks less. And Daviv, because she is younger, she d- doesn't understand the meaning fully, so she talks more. And I think the older girl, Raz, she understands not fully like an adult, but she understands very well what they've been through. And she experienced hard sights and things. Yoni, Daron, your wife, has uh, suffered greatly. Um, you know, she's, she's lost her brother. She lost her mother uh, in this, all of this horror. And she was, of course, a captive and, 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 and trying to keep your, your girl safe. How is she doing and how has she been able to share her experience with you? Like you said, Erin, um, she had to mourning her brother. The second day we got back from the from uh, to our ho- home, I had to tell her that her brother is not alive anymore. It was very difficult, and um, at, in addition to that, that. Her mother is not alive and got killed basically in her arms. Um, she's just starting now to process this horrific news and this information because she didn't have any time to process it. On captivity, she was focused on um, taking care of the girls. She was injured and lost a lot of blood. And Yoni, was Daron able to be with the girls the whole time while they were hostages? Was she able to be with them? Were they ever separated, as far as you know? They weren't separated. And uh, after she lost a lot of blood, she got stitched with no substance. Um, her wound, her injury was stitched and sobbed with not, no substance and uh, she was very painful, but yet she managed to keep them together. Has she been able to tell anything uh, to you, Yoni, about who was holding them or, or, or where or anything that you're able to share? I mean, were the girls in Daron in the dark in a tunnel for, for these weeks and weeks and weeks that you were separated? I can tell you a few very important facts. 
that they were held uh, in some kind of structure for a few days and later they were transferred. And one of the most uh, uh, risk elements was the, the fact that if the people, the population in the first days, if the population outside will know that they are there, they, are, they can be killed by, uh, by the mob. So this was something that was very risky for them, very dangerous. And I, I assess that this is one of the reasons they were transferred later, because of this risk. So you can only imagine in what kind of reality they, are, they were on. And also when they were transferred, they were also at, in big risk for that reason, for the bombing reason. They had to be disguised. Um, there was some situation that they were something like 10 people in a private vehicle and driving in an enormous speed, including my daughters and my wife inside that vehicle. So there were very bad conditions and it was very hard for me to hear. One time when we were talking, Yoni, while they were gone, you said that if Raz and Aviv ever came home, you would promise them something. This is what you said. I'm believing in all of my, all of my heart that they will come back to me. It's hard, but I got to keep on believing that I will hug them. And I promised that I will never tell them to go to their bed and not come to mine again. I will sleep with them and they can bother me to sleep as long as they with me in, in, in my bed. Uh, Yoni, have you, have you kept that promise to them? Well, I did, and even more, because all the last three weeks, I was 24-7 only with them. I didn't do anything that a normal person does. I was only a father and a husband for the last three weeks, and I was with them so much time. And they are sleeping with us in our bed, but uh, we are trying to um, get back to some routine. You know, because at the end, those girls, they need stability. They need routine. They need to have a normal life and kindergarten. So this is something we are inspired and we are want, want to get soon. But I can't leave them and they can't leave me um, for the, since they got back. We, are, we can't be separated. Yoni, thank you so much for speaking to me and for sharing the miracle that is everything to you and, and such a small but very bright light in all of this horror that we've seen. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. Thank you for the support and uh, wish you all the best. Yoni Asher. And next, a breakthrough. Nearly 200 countries have struck a deal and we'll tell you what it's about. Plus, Tesla recalling nearly every car it has sold in the United States. Wow. Why?
The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. All right, tonight, a, quote, historic milestone. Well, those are the words of President Biden. And the reason is that 200 countries, well, close to it, struck a major climate deal after overtime negotiations had sort of been in question, and then there was a breakthrough, uh, which was reached after two weeks of talks. Bill Weir is our chief climate correspondent, has traveled the globe on this out front. And Bill, okay, so this is a, I mean, it's a significant deal when you can get this many countries on board. Sure, to agree on anything. Right, and and (laughs) it almost didn't get there, so they got it over the finish line. Um, But, you know, when you get a deal like this, I mean, how meaningful is it? What does it mean for you, for me, for anyone's watching? for their daily lives? Well, that's a great question. Uh, It's only historic because it's taken humanity this long, 30 years, to name the problem that's at the source of this. This is a fossil fuel crisis. Uh, The fuels that built our modern world and everything in it, unfortunately, is coming back to bite us. We're realizing that now. And so unwinding that has been the hardest thing humanity has ever done. It matters to people watching in the ways that they can observe, both in the changing weather patterns, in insurance rates, depending on where they live, and food prices, as, as supply chains get more complicated on an unpredictable planet, all of that. But it also just speaks to, you know, we're on this little blue marble of almost 8 billion people hurtling through space, and we're all connected. And some are coming at from this problem economically, and some are coming at it existentially, right? Yeah. The small island nations, they weren't in the room when the gavel came down from the CEO of a major oil company announcing victory, essentially. Mm-hmm. But he's going to go back to his day job and expand oil and gas investments for Abu Dhabi to the tune of $100 billion. The United States is the biggest petrostate in the world right now, leading the world in oil and gas exports Russian, yeah. right now. Um, but that has to change, the science tells us. And how fast that happens is going to come down to sort of this tug of war yeah. of human nature. You know, it's funny, I always think <clears throat> when, when you were saying that this little marble, you know, the Carl Sagan, when you yeah. look back and it's like all the life that you will know that you have ever known is on that one spot. Exactly. And it's a speck, right? And that's us. And it, you've been everywhere on that speck. <laughs> uh, the, the, the magnificence uh, that is our planet. Antarctica, where vital sea ice was melting. You've right. actually been there to see that. Maui, after the wildfires ravaged it. I mean, those Antarctica pictures, all, <laughs> unbelievable you filmed there. Yeah. Uh, North Florida's hurricane. Adalia hit. I mean, place after place that you have been where you have seen the impacts of this. Um, So does, I guess it's almost impossible to tell, but does something like what happened today change that? Well, you got to (laughs) hope. You got to hope because... Uh, human action is really going to determine the fate of our children, grandchildren forever. And every one, tenth of a degree matters because all of this glorious planet that I've had the great privilege of exploring it evolved in a very specific Goldilocks climate, you know, yep. just this sweet spot. And we've already moved out of that. So we really don't know what comes next as a species. We can try to hold it together and predict with computer models uh, right now. But the Paris Accord moved the needle. It didn't stop emissions at the rate it probably should have, but it got countries on record to say, this is a problem. We're going to do something about it. This takes that a next step further. But the job is never done, really. 
Right, no, and as you point out, the, the great fear here is we don't, we don't really understand what we've unleashed. Exactly, exactly. All right, Bill, thank you very much. Sure. As Bill will keep exploring. And next, Gail King and Charles Barkley on Tesla's driverless cars, Oprah's day, and the first Broadway show ever that Charles Barkley is going to see. Plus, Alexei Navalny's team releasing a disturbing update tonight about the Putin critic's safety. We've got that for you. Tonight, recall. Tesla recalling 2 million vehicles that are on the road right now in the United States. So the issue is Tesla's autopilot system, which has caused nearly 1,000 crashes. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says that this feature is easily misused by drivers and that there are not enough safety controls. Tesla, of course, has been promoting what it calls full self-driving vehicles in ads like the one that you're seeing next to me, which promote increases in safety and convenience. That's their words exactly. So how far does this set back Tesla, driverless cars? Gail King and Charles Barkley, the hosts of CNN's King Charles, talked to some people about this today, found out about the recall, went out, talked to people, and here's what happened. Go ahead, Ms. King. Would you ever ride in a driverless car? No, I would not. <laughs> I agree with her. That's scary. I would. I would not be opposed to that. No? Really? I think it's safer than a driver. It's a lot of Depends on who's driving. If yeah, Gail's driving, it's safer than her. If you're driving, I'm not going to get in the car. <laughs> if I'm driving, Chris, you'd be safe with me. <laughs> All right. Uh, Gail and Charles are here. So you thought out about driving. Out front dri- now. Yeah, yeah, out front now. Out front uh, you now. thought about dri- getting a Tesla. I have. Listen, Aaron, uh, my favorite daughter, Kirby, and favorite son will both have Teslas. And they are very happy with it. And I have thought about getting an electric car. And I've actually thought about getting a Tesla. But... The driverless car still scares me. I hate to sound like the old lady in the room, but they say the technology is here and we have to get on board. But I'm I'm not there yet. Well, I'm the old man in the room and I'm not getting no car that's driverless. Uh, And I would really like for them to be honest and see how often you actually have to touch the steering wheel. Because I've heard you have to really keep your hand. You can't go more than seconds or a minute without having your hand on the wheel. So it's technically not driverless, but there's no way in the world I would get in a driverless car. They say even in a driverless car, you should be vigilant. Everybody says that. Why you get a driverless car? Why you get a driverless car, yeah. Right, and of course, they're setting you up to literally be on your phone the whole time and not be vigilant. People aren't even vigilant the way it is. But, Aaron, you've heard the statistics. They always say that if you're in a, a driverless car, is much safer than a human driver. We've heard that time and time and time again. And right. they say they have the facts and figures to back that up. Yeah. They say it. They, they say psychologically. I, I, you know, I always wonder who well, they are. Who the they is, yeah. But first of all, that, 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 <laughs> who that's, is the they, that yeah. stat 100% cannot be true. Why? Because there's millions of people driving every day. There's very few driverless cars. So how would you compute those numbers? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, there's not millions and millions of driverless cars out there, but we know there's millions and millions of people driving, driving. every day. So there's no way they can justify that data. I, I'm not a Tesla person. Hey, either. would you? Would you? No. You would not. <laughs> no, the answer is no. Okay. Although, you know what? I was talking to one of my kids the other day, and uh-huh. they're little. This is another uh-huh. generation, nine years old. No way would I get they a driverless no way. car. Okay. Wanted the control. Yes. So maybe that's yes. a human thing. I at least think I, if you're in a, in a car, Aaron, if you can either slam on brakes, you can swerve, you can speed up, you can slow down. I, I at least think you have some modicum of control when you're behind the wheel. But, right. the, but the one yep. thing you never and have... And I'm a very good driver. Thank uh, you very much. Go ahead. Well, don't hurt yourself. So she, yeah, so she, she says. So she says. But the, the, number yeah. one, the, the number one thing you can never control, even if yes. you control your own vehicle, you is can't... Other drivers. It's other drivers. Yeah. And can you imagine one of those cars in New York City? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
When I'm in a taxi here, I'm like, oh, man, this is really awkward. You have to concentrate like you're driving. Yeah. But I would, I, I just yeah. would not feel comfortable personally. Uh, so I would never get in one of those cars personally. Could I ask when rage. was the last time you were in a taxi? Uh, a couple of days ago. Really? Yeah. Like a yellow cab. You're out there going, taxi? Yeah. Did you? Sometimes I was in a hurry. I didn't want to walk. <laughs> I got to ask each of you about something. But yes. Gail, I wanted to ask you about um, your your dear friend Oprah. Yes, this morning. So I this was in morning, DC this morning, National Aaron. Portrait yes, Gallery. Yes, yes. I mean, it's amazing. It Michelle is and amazing. Barack Obama, Maria Tubman, yes. Abraham Lincoln, John Kennedy. I mean, it's it, and Oprah Winfrey. I mean, and, and look Oprah, at that. Even she had to go. Boy, my life. You know, she had a she had a great speech as, as she always does. But she said from Mississippi, where she lived in a house that had 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 an outhouse basically. Yeah. Now to Montecito, one of the most affluent uh, communities in the country. And now she's in the National Portrait Gallery. Even it took her by. Even she was in awe that that this had happened to her today. It was a very special day for her. Which I think is amazing for people to think, you know, that doesn't matter when all the fame and celebrity yes. has come to At her. The end there's of the day, a moment you're, where, you're wow. Like, it was still like but a pinch me <laughs> moment for her. It's true. And, of course, she's in color purple. Yes. Um, and, and she's wearing the beautiful purple there. So tonight, um, Charles, you both are going to be speaking to Corey Hawkins, who stars in the new film. Yes. Uh, you know, sort of adaptation of the color yeah, purple. Yeah, he plays Harpo, yeah. Um, and and, and it, it came up because Color Purple had been on Broadway, uh-huh. that you have not yet been to Broadway. I guess no, you're going no, together. Is it a he date? hasn't been to one Broadway play ever in his life. A so, grown-ass man has never been to Broadway. So we, we made a deal. But I'm we're going to go. I play golf every day. I'm going to take her golf, and she's going to take me to a play. And golf and is I so boring. And I know she's going to have a lot more fun playing golf than going to one of these boring-ass plays. No, no. <laughs> I'm going to pick something that I think he'll enjoy. I'm already thinking, Aaron. Lion King. Let's keep it simple. Uh-huh. Gil, I'm not lots 12. Of colors. But listen, I'm not 12, Lots Gil. of colors, lots of music, lots of costumes. I think you, you would like you that. You know I'm not a teenager. I'm <laughs> 60, right? And I want to have something that has music. I have it all, I have it all planned. That's called radio. <laughs> <laughs> I have it all, right. all planned. And we, so, everybody, you can get a whole lot more of this. <laughs> yes. yes. All of this. this. <laughs> At 10 o'clock Eastern, King Charles tonight. That's funny, Aaron. Only on More of this. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? <laughs> That's good. That's good. Thank Thanks you, Thanks for Aaron. having us. Right. Yes, thank, thank you. you. All right, and we, uh, we hope you'll be watching uh, later on tonight. We have an update next, though, a really important one on top Putin critic Alexei Navalny. He went missing eight days ago. We've got an update after this. Finally tonight, concerns growing over the fate of top Putin critic Alexei Navalny. His team telling us tonight that now it's been eight days since they last had contact with the opposition leader. Uh, Navalny, uh, we understand, had been held, of course, at one of Russia's harshest penal colonies known as IK-6. He had been supposed to be transferred to an even more dangerous facility at some point. No one was clear, though, if this was that point. He's missing now, so they don't know. An unofficial telegram channel with ties to Putin's security services reporting now that Navalny is in Moscow and that investigative actions are being carried out with him. But Navalny's team tonight saying this. Today, we checked most of the pretrial detention centers in Moscow. None of them had Alexei Navalny. Investigative actions are not carried out without lawyers. All investigative actions have already taken place. According to Navalny's team, his health has been deteriorating. And in fact, last week, they say he became ill in his cell, had to be hooked up to an IV. That is the last that they heard from him. Thank you so much for joining us. AC360 starts now. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.